Okay. Well, you can be opening up your Bibles to uh, Galatians chapter 6. Or really, actually, we'll start in chapter 5 today. So if you want to uh, start there, we can do that. And uh, we'll be continuing with Galatians for the rest of the quarter. I think we might finish up one Sunday short of the quarter. So we'll be uh, starting something new after that. Uh, so I hope you've enjoyed this. We've been studying in the letter to Galatia for, what, I think about three quarters now. So I hope it's been a good study for you. I hope you've been able to take some things from what we've studied and looked at. And I hope it's been helpful to you. And of course, we've talked a lot about what Paul is having to deal with, right? We've talked a lot about the fact that he established uh, pretty much all, most of these churches in Galatia or helped establish them during his first missionary journey that you can read about in Acts and how he had to deal with some things that happened after he left. Uh, you had people that crept in that uh, were telling those, those brethren in the churches in Galatia that they had to still keep the law, that they had to be circumcised, right? The, what we call the Judaizing teachers. They're trying to make them continue in this in Judaic law, continue in the traditions of Judaism. And uh, even though uh, Paul had taught them about their freedom that they now had, and, and he has to continue to say, you have that liberty, you have that freedom in Christ Jesus. You are now a adopted son or daughter of God, of, and you are no longer under the law. Of course, we know the law was there for our you know, schoolmaster, a tutor for us to understand what the difference is between wide and wrong. We can't know that innately. We can know things from nature, but God had to reveal the truth to us, right? And so we had to understand that. But we are now in freedom. We are now free in Christ. What does that mean? We've talked about that, right? How we are free in Christ. We are living by God's design. That's how he designed us to live, right? To in love with him and love with each other. And that causes us to live the way he wants us to live. Not the way we want to live. Not in sin. Not in our own selfish ambitions. Right? And we talked a lot about that and how that's what that freedom is. We are living in his, by his design. We are living by the way it's going to be in heaven. Right? And we are there with him. The way we're going to live every day in love with the God, with our Father, love with those who are with us there. And in hope we have now is for that future time. And we can live that way here now. We can have an abundant life here while on earth. Let's go back and read Galatians chapter 5. In chapter 5 there in verse 1 he says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. You see, we enjoy this liberty that freed us from the bondage of sin, right? We've talked about that. Paul is reinforcing that idea that we're no longer bound by sin. When we are in sin, we're bound by it. We have no hope. We simply have a, a you know, a a sense of doom that we are going to be judged one day for that and spend eternity in hell. That's, that's not good, right? He says, you now have that hope. You now have that freedom in Christ. You are no longer bound from, from sin. You are free from that. And then turn over to verse 16, and we're going to read from there and talk again what we've been talking about the last few weeks. We've, we've spent a lot of time on this. I'm just going to go back over it just to kind of reiterate what we've been talking about. Beginning in verse 16, he says, I say then... Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not know, you do not do the things that you wish, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. 
Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contention, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you before, and just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, good, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. You see, when we're living in the Spirit, as he talks about there, when you're walking in the Spirit, in that freedom in Christ Jesus, there's no law. You don't need a law to have, to guide you, to, to uh, convict you, right? You have that freedom, that joy, and that peace that comes as a fruit of walking in the Spirit. So, the Spirit, the spiritual life we are to live come, comes from Him, and that is what we're doing when we're walking in the Spirit. We have fruit that comes from that. And we've talked a lot about that. But today we're going to get into something else, too, that comes from walking in the Spirit. Such blessings that we receive from walking in the Spirit do not come without certain responsibilities. Okay? I mean, as parents, and I assume that most of all of you are parents in here. Maybe, maybe a couple aren't. When you had your first child, was that a blessing? Or was it a burden? When you had that child, when that, I know, I, 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 I don't know. I'm not saying I know. But you women, when you gave birth, there was a certain level of pain that you went through, right? And us guys, yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't have no clue what that was like. But it was tough getting there. But then when it happened, it was tremendous joy wasn't it it was a tremendous blessing you know had this beautiful baby <clears throat> but also <laughs> you probably felt a tremendous sense of responsibility didn't you at that point you probably felt something that baby you never really thought about before oh yeah and, and, and as us dads we may not have experienced the pain of childbirth but oh yeah what was that old commercial when the the guy's little baby and the baby starts talking about He's talking about all the money he's going to have to save, and she's going to have a wedding, and she wants ice sculptures. Remember that commercial? That's kind of the way I felt when my daughter was born. I think, mean, well, there's one wedding i got to pay for. No, nah, I didn't say that. I was so full of joy, and oh, I wasn't thinking about that. I did later, but not then. But there's a certain responsibility that, that comes over you, right? You now have this totally helpless human being that you're completely responsible for. That's a burden, isn't it? That's a bit of a burden, right? Yeah, we can relate to that, right? And today we're gonna to talk a little bit about the burdens that we as Christians have to bear. We have this freedom in Christ Jesus, liberty, no longer under the law, don't have to be circumcised anymore, don't have to worry about keeping the law because we live with a law of love for God. We do things out of our love for Him and what He's done for us. Let's read. 
For chapter 6 there, beginning in verse 1, what's he say? He says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. All right, well, what's Paul saying here? Well, if you are walking in the Spirit, we just talked about that, right? He's kind of segueing into this from the idea of the walk in the Spirit, the fruit that we have from walking in the Spirit. Great blessings, great joy that we get, great peace that we get from walking in the Spirit, just like you might have had when your child, first child was born. But now, there's something that we need to be aware of. We need to be aware of our brethren and helping them when they have burdens. We have a burden to take care of each other. We are blessed, now we take care of each other. We have a duty. Those who are spiritual, those who walk in the Spirit and, and produce fruit from the Spirit now have a duty to bear each other's burdens. What's that mean exactly? Well, you hear all the time, right? Uh, oh, she's very spiritual. Well, that person is very spiritual. That man is spiritual. He walks in the Spirit. Have you ever had someone say that about you? Right? As you may ever say, he's a very spiritual person. And we hear that. You might see that on TV or at work or, you know, among people. And the idea is usually that it's like, you know, there's some kind of mystic person or, mad, you know, they got these, uh, they, they're just different, right? But when we're talking about that here, it's not, it's not something that's magical. It's not something that's mystical or weird. It simply means that we are walking in love with the Spirit, with God. And through that walk, there's going to be things that are going to be produced from that walk. And guess what? the world's not going to understand it because it's of the world. Big difference there. We have this fruit. We are now fulfilling the law of Christ. Not the law, not the Mosaic law, not the law that was given to the Jews, but the law of love through Christ Jesus. Turn over to John in chapter 13. Maybe this will help kind of understand what this is, what he's saying here. John chapter 13. And let's see what the Lord said that's reported here. John chapter 13, and let us begin in 31, verse 31. He says, so when he had gone out, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer, and you will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, now notice this verse, a new commandment hmm. I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 
this, you know, we read this verse and we don't really think about it that much. I mean, okay, God says love one another. Well, okay, yeah, I know, I understand that. But did you notice he said this is a new commandment? You see, what he's alluding to here is not about the law. It's about that law of love for Christ Jesus, for him. And when you love him, ye is in the Father, therefore you are with the Father. It's all connected. And he's, you can think about it like, you know, the, the, the disciples were Jews, right? They understood the law. They had the law. They had the commandments. But he's saying a new commandment. And it's really simple. Love one another. And when you do this, they will know you are my disciples. Now, now why, would, why would he say it like that, right? Why would he say that? Well, perhaps it's because when they were trying to keep the law, they couldn't do it. And so you have all these pharisaical traditions and rules that came about, right? On how to keep the law, right? You couldn't do this. And they added things to help the Jews keep the law, right? Even though they couldn't do it. And the point is, <clears throat> that's not it. That's not it. Yeah, the law is there for, for the tutor. The law is there to show the character of God and how, how we need to live. But that's not it. The new commitment is simply to love one another. That's it. That's really it. All the law and the prophets, right, can be summed up, right? First commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Second, same as the first, to love your neighbor as yourself. And upon this hang all the law and the prophets. That's really all you need. That's how God designed it. And if you're walking in the spirit, if you're a spiritual person, not magical or mystical, you're simply loving one another and loving God. It's really simple, right? Yeah, easier said than done, right? I understand that. But that's what I'm trying to get across here. It's not anything special or magical about it. When you turn your life over to God through Christ Jesus, you now have a freedom, a freedom to love him with all your heart, soul, and mind, and your neighbors. And that's what we're going to get further into here. Turn over to chapter 15 and see what he says there in the book of John. He says in chapter 15, beginning in verse 11, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that they lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Interesting. This is how you get that greater joy through your love for one another. That's how we fulfill the law of Christ. What Jesus described as his commandment is that, that simple commandment to love each other and bear with each other, bear each other's burdens. How do we do that? Well, we have some examples. Turn over to Romans chapter 15. And we'll read something there. And we're going to be jumping around again. I know I hate to have to move around, but uh, we've got a lot of verses here that are very good. Romans 15, beginning in verse 1. He says, We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak, and not to please ourselves, but each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. 
For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. You see, we are to help those who are weaker. We are to help those who are in need. And you can look at that a couple ways, right? Some of us are going to be more mature in the faith than others. Someone who we might convert may not understand fully. So what's our first thing we got to do? We got to teach, right? We got to continue to help that person to grow spiritually, that weaker brother or sister. That's the first thing we need to be looking at. And sometimes that might mean taking care of somebody that's in need. Maybe somebody has some health issues. We need to deal with that. That's going to help them grow as well. That's part of that evangelistic nature, right? That nature that we are to be bearing each other's burdens. The spiritually strong are to graciously restore those who are weaker. That could also mean someone who is going back into some sin, has succumbed to temptation, right? Someone who's been overtaken, and, and in this, this uh, verse here, or whatever you might say, not so much premeditated, but something that's just overtaken them. And, and that happens, right? We get in the moment, we get tempted, or something happens, and we just, we lose our control a little bit, right? That happens, and especially those you might think of who might be a weaker brother or sister, who hasn't had the trials that we read about in James, right? Who hasn't had to deal with things that we may have. Not gone into a sin as a result of, of, of something that you were desiring to do, but something that overcame you, perhaps on a moment's notice. We're to restore them. We're to be gentle. We're to be helpful. Not lording over them. Yes, they need to be rebuked if they are in a sin, but we do it out of love, gentleness, meekness. In fact, we have to be careful because we don't want to fall in the same trap. Turn over to James chapter 3. See what James had to say about this. <clears throat> James chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment, for we all stumble in many things. And if anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Interesting statement right there. What he's saying is, be careful, especially when you teach, especially when you're working with a weaker brother or sister, that you don't fall in the same trap, that you don't succumb to the same issues. Interesting. Turn over to uh, 1 Corinthians. Let's read something out of that letter. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 there. Being in verse 12, he says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation is overtaking you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation, will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. You have to be careful that you don't fall in the same trap. 
And that kind of means when you're especially, especially when you're working with someone who's perhaps not as mature in the faith, that you're not arrogant about it. That you're not acting like I'm better than you. You see how that works? And that could happen, right? That could easily happen. Be careful, lest you fall. Interesting concept, right? We've heard that many times, but we have to watch out for it. The spiritually strong are to graciously restore those who are weaker. Turn over to James 5. Let's see what he said about that. Chapter 5. <clears throat> Beginning of verse 19. He says, Brethren, if anyone among you wonders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Interesting two verses right there. What's he saying? It's your responsibility, folks, to restore a brother or brother or sister who's in sin. And why would you do that? Because of your love for them. You see, you don't want them to spend eternity in another place. You want them to be with you in eternity. Therefore, through that great love you have for the Father, for them, you need to restore them. The world calls that what? Hatred. You ever heard that? That's a big word these days, right? Not too long ago, some elders here played with Woodstock, right? Had this fellowship woman because she left her husband and family to be with another woman. It made the papers, right? Because this woman, I don't think she posted on one of the media sites or something. Got big news. In fact, one of those elders was fired from his job because of it. You don't think persecution happens today? Mm -hmm. But they were doing that out of concern for her soul, right? But the article in the paper that I read said they were hateful. Those elders were hateful. How dare they rebuke someone for being in a loving relationship? Even though scripture condemns that relationship. The world doesn't understand that. Right? They don't understand why you would rebuke someone for living in sin. That's silly. Who are you to tell them how they can live? Who are you to tell somebody they're in living in sin? You don't, you don't know it all. Well, I don't. We don't know it all. But we know what Scripture says. And we know what God says to do about it. Out of our love for each other, sometimes we may need to rebuke somebody. We may need to say, if you don't repent, you're going to hell. Out of love. We've got a lot of kids these days that are a mess. Why? Perhaps the parents didn't say, if you don't stop doing that, you're going to be a mess. Not necessarily going to hell, but you're going to be in trouble. we got a lot of parents that have done that, right? I don't want to get into all that. We could have a discussion on that for days, right? And that's part of the job as a parent. You love your kids enough to tell them when they're in the wrong because you know where they're headed. Sorry, I'm getting on my soapbox a little bit here, but this is something that is relevant to today, right? 
And this is why we do these things. You think, well, I don't want to get involved with that. I don't want to, oh, I don't want to tell them. I, I can't talk to someone about their life. Scripture says you're to bear each other's burdens out of love. You need to perhaps go talk to someone. Interesting concept, right? It begins with getting to know people. Oh, it does. Oh, we got to know people in the church? Yeah. One of the reasons we come here on Sundays and Wednesdays and we have fellowship meetings, we have projects we do, we do go and do, is to get to know each other. It's not just to evangelize or preach to the lost, but we got to know each other too. How are you going to bear each other's burden if you don't know people? I know, well, the elders will do that. Well, yeah, that's something the elders need to do, but it's not just them. And especially in a congregation this size, it's hard for anybody to know everybody. We've got, what, 11 elders? I know Bob knows everybody. He has sat down with every person in here in the last 10 years and knows everything about their lives. I know that. He's told me when he sat down with me. No, I'm just kidding. It's impossible to know everybody in a size, the congregation this size. That's why you have to have that as part of your job. Get to know people. You don't have to know everybody, but the people you know, get to know them. And you need to do that to understand what's going on in their lives. How are you going to know if someone's living in sin if you don't know them really? And it's easy for us just to come here, go through our worship service, go to our class, and then head right out the door. And I'm guilty of that. We all do that. But you might need to stick around a while. You might not need to just come in and sit on the back row so you can jump out the door as soon as amen is said. I know, maybe I'm stepping on a few toes here, and probably myself too, but that's why we're here, to know each other, to take care of each other. Being here in this church provides a way for us to become acquainted with another. It provides a way for us to know something may be wrong in someone else's life, and maybe... You need to talk to someone. And maybe that may need to start with you going to somebody because maybe they're not going to come to you. Turn over Hebrews chapter 10. <clears throat> Verse 24. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Now I want you to pay attention to that verse. To do what? Let us consider another or to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The Hebrew writers rebuking those who are not coming together. Is it because they are forsaking them that they need to worship God, that they need to be here to worship God. No, he says it's so you can stir up one another for good works. What's that mean? Bearing burdens, encouraging each other, knowing the people. Now I know there are many can't be here, health issues, sometimes people got to work. I understand that. 
And usually when people are in that situation, they want to be here bad. They just can't. But there are some, and especially we've seen this happen with the COVID stuff, that maybe are hiding behind the broadcast. Maybe they see that as their church now, and they don't have to engage. Maybe I can just watch it on my computer. I don't have to be involved. I'm telling you, if that's what you're doing, and I'm talking to folks on TV now, or on the computer, it might be time to get back in here. Because we need to know you, and you need to know us. That's one of the major reasons we come together. We get that encouragement from each other, we get the edification from each other, we get knowledge of the word divided to us that we hopefully take into account for, we hopefully add to our lives to help us grow spiritually and become more spiritual. That's all part of it. Now, I'm here telling you what the scripture says. I'm not going to lord it over you if you're not coming. There is a certain level of that's between you and God, right? But if you're going to follow the scripture in your freedom, in your liberty, it doesn't mean sitting on your couch watching the thing on the computer. It means you've got to be among the brethren. Don't get me wrong, like I said, I know some can't do that, and I understand that. That's very understandable. It's a blessing that we have that, right? It is a great blessing. And especially during COVID, it was a great blessing. <clears throat> but we have a need to bear each other's burdens, and you can't do that if you don't know the people. Therefore, we are to do that, right? We are to bear each other's burdens. But also as Christians, and let's turn over to Romans chapter 12 and see what he said here. Verse 1. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove that is a good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. You see, when we're helping those, when we're bearing burdens, it might be very easy for us to think more highly of ourselves. Like, well, look what I'm doing. Right? Look how good I am. I'm helping the weak. I'm better than you guys. Paul says, be careful. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. We can deceive ourselves in that way. James tells us that in chapter 1. Only then can we rejoice in ourselves and not another when we're putting ourselves last, when we're bearing each other's burdens. There are some who trust in being part of a group. And they, as we've talked about, will just sit back and let everybody else do the job, right? I'm, I, we're, I'm part of the group. We're, I'm, I'm, I'm here, but they're not really doing anything, right? They're not participating. They're not engaging in the work. Well, here's what we have to say. Turn back to 
uh, verse 14, chapter 14 in Romans there. See what he says. Chapter 14, verse 12. He says, so then, each of us shall give account of himself to God. Hmm. Okay. Does that sound like the whole group's going to give account? Well, everybody in the group. But when you give an account to God, it's you. It's not the group. Each person individually is going to be judged. And so if you're just sitting back in the group, or you're just sitting here in the pew, maybe you need to consider yourself there. Maybe you need to be reminded that you're going to have to give account. <laughs> I feel like I'm one of those fire and brimstone preachers today. I, I'm sorry. I don't, and I don't mean to be stepping on toes, but you know, sometimes. Anyway, turn over to 2 Corinthians. <clears throat> Chapter 5. Verse 9. Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade, we persuade men, but we are all well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciousness. Consciousness. So we're going to bear each other's burdens if we're walking in the Spirit. We talk about the fruits of the Spirit. Bearing each other's burdens is the result of walking in the Spirit. But not only that, bearing your own load. Paul talked about that there, right? He says, by first examining ourselves, we are to observe certain things. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Beginning in verse 27. Now you hear this a lot when we're taking communion. And I want to read it again, but I want you to see this in light of the context of what we're talking about here today. Beginning in verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unearthly manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may be, not be condemned with the world. What's he saying here? Before you commune with each other and with God, you need to examine yourself. Where are you at spiritually? Are you living in sin? Are you succumbed? Have you succumbed to something that you don't need to be involved with? Each week, you should be examining your life before taking communion. If nothing else, this gives us something to remind us, right? That we are going to have to give an account that we need to bear each other's burdens, but also carry our own load. Are you doing that? 
Ephesians chapter 4. Turn there real quick. I know we're running out of time here. We studied this back when we looked at Ephesians. Verse 16. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effect of working, by which every part does its share, causes the growth of the body for the edifying itself in love. We have to do our part. Talked about that many times. We each have a gift we've been given. We need to use that gift in service in the body, service in the kingdom. If we are willing to bear our own load, well, that begins with taking responsibility for ourselves and our own spiritual growth. That too means being here to help each other. That too means being here to hear lessons from scripture, hear the word. That too means being in prayer daily. That too means being in the word daily. That too means being in service to our God. The Lord saved us that we might be zealous for good works. We can read that in Titus 2.14. Are you, are you zealous for the works of a kingdom? That redeem us from all, they redeem us from all his deeds. They pure, uh, and he's purifying for himself his special people through that. I know perhaps you're not as gung-ho as a new convert, right? Someone who's just realized their sins have been forgiven. Perhaps you've been walking with the Lord for a long time. But that doesn't mean you can't be zealous for his service. We've given many opportunities for you to do that here, but we can't do everything. At some point, you have to take the initiative yourself a little bit. And that may mean getting to know somebody that you don't know. And I'm preaching to myself. So keep that in mind, all right? All right, time is up. Thanks for being here.